It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. All right, everyone. Happy Labor Day weekend. Ashley Frasca here with you. Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. Yeah, even though it's a holiday weekend, gardeners don't ever take a holiday off. And especially this time of year, I can't wait. I get excited about transitioning out of summertime into fall. A lot of you are thinking about those cool season crops you want to grow and I've got just the guest for you. I am really excited to have Rebecca Sears on with me. She lives in the new, new uh, Northeast area, but of course very familiar with gardening, seed starting, works for Fairy Morse. A lot of you know that seed company, helping gardeners. They've depended on their seeds for over 150 years. So Rebecca, welcome to Georgia and welcome to Green and Growing. Hi, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Now, what are some of the things that you have experience with and that you're passionate about as a gardener? You know, long before I started working for Ferry Morse, I was a home gardener myself and uh, went through all the trials and tribulations of trying to figure out what to start with, what to plant, how to take care of them. So for me, I'm really passionate about helping gardeners be more successful. There's just so much information out there in the world it's hard to figure out what's what and, and what you need to do to just get going. It can be intimidating. And I think, you know, when you and I first spoke, I was kind of telling you that I want to get my audience into gardening and get them over the hump of, oh, I'm afraid to try that. I'm afraid to waste money. They say, I don't have a green thumb. I have a brown thumb. No, you don't. You, you got to start somewhere, <laughs> right, Rebecca? Absolutely. And I think, you know, part of the joy of gardening is really the learning process of it. And it's, you know, going through those ups and downs, the trials and tribulations, and then ultimately the big rewards. Um, there's so many positive things about gardening. It's, it's great for your health, uh, both from a physical standpoint, getting out there, being active, as well as your mental health, too. The studies have shown that gardening is, is super helpful for re- relaxation and alleviating anxiety. Um, and what's interesting is that, you know, during the pandemic, 18 million gardeners joined uh, the gardening community in the U.S. alone. So there's a lot of people out there right now that are trying to figure it out and are looking for help. I love that. So we were kind of in the middle of the pandemic this time last year. So maybe folks are still a little overwhelmed, but this could very well be a lot of my listeners first fall doing gardening, right? And cool season crops. So here in Georgia, from the University of Georgia Extension Office, you know, some of those cool season crops that we're still able to do, beets and broccoli, cabbage, thinking about calling that mustards. I mean, I absolutely love that. So Ferry Morse, with all of the seed that you guys have, a really reliable way to start your own plants. Talk to us about being most successful in picking out the right seed and how we start it. You know, it's funny. A lot of people don't think about fall as the time for gardening, maybe just because there's not as many things in the stores available. But it's actually a great time to start. For one thing, you've probably already done the hard work uh, in spring to get everything all set up. So fall is really almost like a bonus round, you know. <laughs> um, so <laughs> a lot less work to do, but just all the same reward. And when you're thinking about fall plants, you want to make sure that it's things that can last through some of the cooler temperatures later in the fall. Um, and there are plants that are great for that. So when you're thinking about vegetables, it's cabbage, it's cauliflower, it's broccoli. And when you're thinking about flower plants, some favorites are pansies and phlox. Um, pansies and phlox, interestingly, can even last through a little bit of snow. Uh, you just need to water them afterwards to make sure that they get rehydrated and come, back, come right back up. 
so there's there's a number of plants out there that are great um, and we've actually developed a, a specific list of live plants that can help you out too called our plant links program um, and those are all perfect for fall planting now and is it still important you know in, in summertime we're thinking about marigolds around our vegetables to maybe detract or repel some some things but also things that the pollinators are attracted to you know to bring them to our garden to really help move that pollen around are we still kind of thinking in that same vein i mean pansies probably maybe aren't the best for pollinators but what what do you recommend having around the fall vegetable garden so i think there's a couple things to think about um the good news is that fall there's a little bit less pressure so you know some of the flea beetles and things that really uh can eat up your early spring garden those are for the most part gone, but there are other things that'll, that are still around, some Japanese beetles and things like that. So um, it is great to plant perennials at this time of year. Perennial flowers typically bloom your second year, so if you can get them started in fall, you're going to have some great flowers that following season. And some that are particularly great for pollinators are butterfly weed, bee balm, uh, black-eyed Susan, bachelor button, echinacea, which is also known as, as coneflower. Those are some great things to plant to bring in those pollinators and, and make sure that they're they're doing um, what they need for your garden and also you're providing a great habitat for them. And I'm glad you mentioned that, Rebecca, because like, you know, less heat, of course, the weather's cooling down. But yeah, a lot less weeds and a lot less bugs to deal with in the fall. So those are three advantages right there of fall gardening. Um, and you talked about some of these cool season crops. They're a little more frost tolerant. Um, how many of them, if not most, can actually survive in those colder temperatures, even down to, what, the teens and 20s? Yeah, so um, you want to be starting these types of plants now. And what they can do is they, they'll typically harvest right before the worst of the frost starts. So they can they can manage to survive some, uh, we call them soft frost, if mm-hmm. you will, where the, the ground doesn't harden solid. So this is a good time to plant those. Um, and they're also, you know, unlike some other things like tomatoes and peppers that really don't like the cold, these guys like it. Um, so you can, you can give them a, a good healthy start in the fall and they'll do just great. Now, what are some of your personal favorites, fall crops that you have just found really low maintenance, really easy, and you, you get an abundance of them? For me, I think kale, if you like kale, uh, fall is a great time to grow it. It loves this this cooler weather um, in September and October. Uh, you know, once the the they they enjoy the heat to get started, and then they enjoy the cooler temperatures later in the fall. Um, and it produces an abundance. It's actually uh, a great plant for beginners. It's it's super healthy uh, in terms of the vitamins and minerals that it delivers to you. And at the same time, it's it's hard to mess up. <laughs> so that's a particular favorite of mine. Um, I also love to grow broccoli and cauliflower, and I have a tougher time doing that in the spring because there's so many insects in our area. But now's a good time to to really pick up the broccoli and cauliflower and get it going because there's a little bit less pest pressure, as I mentioned earlier. Um, And then I also like to grow a number of flowers this time of year um, that are also vegetables, so ornamental cabbage and ornamental kale. Those do great for the same, same reasons, and they're also absolutely beautiful pops of color. And again, those two can last through a little bit of frost in the winter. I love that. I mean, almost foolproof. You just don't have to tend to the garden as often 
this time of year going into fall as you as you do in the summertime, you know, being a lot more conscientious then about regular watering and things like that. We have much more dependable weather, I would say, in the fall. And Rebecca, if you know anything about Georgia summers, it's all over the place. You know, it could rain every day for 16 days. We could have a drought. Yeah. We could have a dry spell. So fall gardening. Now, talk about um, a seed packet. I know this seems basic, Rebecca, but there is so much information on a seed packet that that lends the gardener to precisely the right direction, almost foolproof in such a way. When you turn that over and you've got the seed of the vegetable that you want to start, um, you know, the timing on sowing that indoors, right, and giving it enough time to become a little seedling to then plant outside, which right. we want to do before the frost. But what are some of those key things we're looking at on that seed packet, the things that are really important? One of the key things to take a look at are days to maturity. And basically that tells you from the time you either plant the seed or transplant, uh, depending on whether you started it indoors or not, and then ultimately when that flower or vegetable is going to come to fruition in a fruit, vegetable, or a flower. So that gives you a good sense for, okay, if I start this in August and it's 45 days to maturity, this is about when I'm going to be able to get that harvest. Um, So that gives you a nice idea of, um, you know, how much time it's going to take to produce the end result, and it'll also give you a nice idea of, okay, do I have enough time to start this before a hard frost if it's a less cold-tolerant product? So I think that's a really important one to take a look at. The other thing to take a look at is the spacing instructions. I think a lot of new gardeners get super excited about starting (laughs) gardening, and, you know, they sow a lot of seeds and and then maybe don't weed it out later or, or thin it out later, and it's a good idea to take a look at how much space a plant actually needs so you don't cram them together too much because then they end up competing with each other for sun and for food and for water. So you want to pay close attention to that too. And what about the, you know, the, the days are shorter. We have less sun in, in the colder, colder months. So how key is that sunshine and still making sure that we have a sunny spot? Like in summer, you are going for the sunniest spot you can find, man. You need eight or nine hours at least. But fall, is that as big of a factor or not so much? What do you think? Well, sun's still really important, and you want to make sure that um, you're selecting the right plants from your areas based upon how much sun you have in that spot and if it's uh, a part shade or a full sun type of plant. So if it says full sun on your seed packet, you want to make sure you have at least six hours of sun in that area. And same goes for herbs. Anybody thinking about growing herbs, I mean, that's so important. That's why when you have those kits in the kitchen, you need that sunny kitchen window. But uh, what are some of the herbs that do really well from seed, Rebecca? Basil's a great one. Mm -hmm. Um, Basil grows easily, uh, especially for a beginner gardener. This is a great one to try. It's, um, you know, they tend to germinate really well and they come up fast. So you'll get an early reward for your efforts. Um, cilantro is another one I love. Cilantro is oh, yeah. uh, so important for a great salsa, right? Um, and cilantro comes up easily and it gives you, a, you know, a great fragrant bouquet pretty early on. And then dill's another one too. If you are newer to gardening, I'd suggest maybe wait till you get your, you know, your feet underneath you a little bit more before you try like a rosemary or a lavender, which is a bit tougher to get started from seed. Yeah, and a rosemary, you know, more of a woody herb. So once you have some success with that, that can be a perennial and kind of stay with you. Uh, Fairymorse.com is the website I want you guys to check out. F-E-R-R-Y-M-O-R-S-E. Rebecca, the type A 
really organized person in me loves the alphabetical list when you click vegetables, <laughs> herbs, and fruits. It's like, it's so beautiful. And there's so many vegetable seeds that we can pick from. I mean, the, the options are endless. Yes, that's part of the fun is really just imagining um, and planning out your garden and deciding what you want to grow. Now, when we come back, I want to take a quick break. we got to check on traffic because Atlanta traffic can be nuts even on a Saturday morning and weather and then come back to you, Rebecca Sears from Ferry Morse. Um, I have a couple of questions. One about best place in the landscape to maybe start some of these cool season vegetables and also a question always on gardeners' minds, seed storage. So can you hang on for just a few minutes? Sure thing. Happy to. All right. Love it. You're listening to Green and Growing. It's Ashley Frasca and Rebecca Sears with me. My guest for this Saturday will be right back. 95.5 WSB. It's Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on 95.5 WSB. The news, weather, and traffic team will be here first thing Monday morning to help you get back to work on time and informed. Now back to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's News and Talk. The update on your weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. And guys, I am back with Rebecca Sears from Ferry Morse. You can check them out. A seed company that has been known to gardeners for over 150 years. Ferry Morse, M-O-R-S-E dot com. And Rebecca, one of the two questions I had for you in our time left together. Uh, folks asking me, they've got these great containers that they enjoyed on their decks and patios with tomato plants and pepper plants over the summer. And they still have that good soil, maybe add some, you know, amendments to it. What things would you advise that would actually be successful in those containers? Herbs. Herbs do wonderfully in containers. I like to have them near my door so I can just run out there, cut a few things, and bring them in um, for for different recipes and things. And you can also bring them in the winter if you need to, and they'll, they'll stay right there with you throughout the winter, which is nice. From the vegetable plant side, certainly things like kale again that's power vegetable right it (laughs) does well in in almost any setting (laughs) lettuce and spinach too so grow those in containers and they'll do wonderfully and you can keep on harvesting those outer leaves and it'll keep on growing for you Um, some things like root vegetables so just make sure that you have a container that's deep enough so carrots for instance they really don't like to have their tap roots disturbed so just make sure you have a container that's deep enough so those roots can keep on growing down and those will do well for you too in a container which is nice and onions, too. I mean, man, I tried those. And, I mean, you're going to take up that container for a number of months if you even try to grow an onion. So yes. maybe not that. That's just going to kind of be stagnant for you. Well, I like those recommendations. Um, and quickly, before I let you go, Rebecca, a lot of questions from my listeners about seed storage, right? So if we have that great fairy morse envelope and there's still some seeds left in it, Um, General recommendations, do we just keep it in the envelope or do we need to transfer them to a jar, refrigerator? What say you? Well, in my opinion, it's absolutely fine to keep them in the envelope. And I like to do that just so I keep those directions on there and it makes it easy to remember what's what. But the key to making sure that your seeds last is keeping them in a cool, dry place. Of course, there's a lot of debate of to refrigerate or not. I personally refrigerate. (laughs) So I put them in a, a nice airtight container put them in the fridge, and they're just fine the next year. Uh, important thing to know is that some seeds save better than others. So tomatoes, for instance, those can last you as long as five years, sometimes uh, even more. Uh, but other seeds like parsnip, for example, that's really a one-year seed. It health declines really quickly, so you want to make sure you buy those every year. Whether or not seed starting sounds intimidating, y'all have the plantlings line now where baby plants can be obtained by gardeners that are just ready to go and pop them in the ground. Um, How can folks find out more about that? 
Sure, you just come right to ferrymorse.com. That's F-E-R-R-Y-M-O-R-S-E. We have a separate section at the top you just click on to learn more about plantlings. And a lot of your things are at pikenursery.com as well, too. Rebecca Sears, this has been a really enlightening conversation, and I so appreciate your expertise and your time in uh, talking with us and giving us some great tips today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was great to be here. Thanks so much. All right, folks, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back. You're listening to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. You've made it to a holiday weekend, guys. Congratulations, Labor Day weekend. It's green and growing on your radio dial here. Ashley Frasca, 95.5 WSB, and really happy that Walter Reeves, the Georgia gardener, is lending his time and talents on a holiday Saturday. Walter's Wondering. Walter's Wondering. The definitive questions and answers from WSB's OG garden guru, Walter Reeves. It's like that music is triggered right as I say your name. That music just <laughs> knows and knows to start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, so what are you getting into? I know you like fireworks, but is Labor Day really an occasion for fireworks? <laughs> it's not really. What I really like on Labor Day is eating watermelon, cantaloupes. Have a little alcoholic beverage in a can, but all these things remind me that this is a great time to control slugs and snails. It's all three things I just mentioned watermelon, cantaloupe, and a little alcoholic <laughs> beverage in a can. All those are good for controlling slugs and snails in your garden. So, friends don't get the leftovers, the slugs and the snails do. I see how that works. <laughs> exactly. So that's that's kind of what I was thinking. And before we get to that, I wanted to talk and talk about something else that was slithery. Um, and, and bring your attention to this video. I, I shot the most amateurish video, and it's on the Facebook page, on the Green and Growing Facebook page. Um, there was a small little black snake in my garage, right? Small, small. He didn't bother me, almost like a little bit bigger than a worm. And just, I left him. I mean, I closed the garage door, didn't think. So my husband, terrified of, of snakes, right? So later, when we're fixing dinner, I mean, hours later, I'm like, man, I saw a baby snake in the garage. And he's like, and what's the rest of that story? I'm like, oh, I, I, just <laughs> left, I just left it. He made me stop making dinner, and he's like, go down there right now and find it. And I'm like, that was like three hours ago. <laughs> and John's like, no. Mm-mm. Like, he was not going to go to sleep that night, me having told him that. So I went back down there, and, of course, I, I looked in the corner where I last saw him, and I'll be doggone if that baby snake did not get stuck in a cobweb like kind of between my gardening bins and spiders were like attacking him. There was like a big spider at the back and there was a small spider at the front and they were kind of going towards him and they had wrapped some kind of cocoonish stuff around him, but he was really fighting. Yeah. Really fighting to get out of this. And I thought, okay, hmm, I feel bad for him, but at the same time, don't want him to be my problem. Um, I I think the the spiders are pretty much going to take care of him. But I just moved everybody outside. The spiders and the steak, just let them finish their, their business outside so that my husband could at least sleep peacefully that night. But um, what do you think? What is it that a spider would want with a baby snake? Ugh. <laughs> it's food. Ugh. Anything else. It moves, it's food. For spiders, depending on their size, you know, anything their size is smaller, seems to be the thing they'll... So um, eat. Uh, I think right now, have you heard of the Joro spider, Ashley? Oh, you, know you and I talked is? about that last year. Is that the guy with like the yellow hourglass yeah, type thing on his back? Red, oh, red arms. yeah. 
they have great big webs, and they can and actually the web is so big they can they can get a hummingbird in them, which oh. is not a great thing. Other spiders sometimes can capture hummingbirds too, but the Joro spider has such a big web that they can sometimes get bigger things than they are. Even the locusts and caterpillars and uh, cicadas and hummingbirds can get caught in their webs. Interesting. Ah, Mother Nature is so cruel. God, I mean, I don't like snakes, but I didn't like him getting attacked either. I mean, he was fighting for his life, and I just thought, y'all battle it out somewhere else. Um, but and okay. John is, John is asleep. Okay, <laughs> yeah. we, we were talking about that. We were talking about snails and Labor Day and everything else right now. Well, I, so I like that. So what is it about the watermelon or the cantaloupe? I mean, I, I remember the saucer of beer, you know, that the slugs are going to find their way yeah. to and just kind of drown themselves. But uh, what about the melons? I don't know what attracts them to the melons, but either one of them, if you have a good watermelon, scoop out the interior of the watermelon so you have a nice domed hiding place and put it in your garden. Anywhere you put it in your garden, I guarantee within the next 12 hours if there is a slug or a snail in the vicinity, they're going to find that watermelon. They're going to go underneath it, into it, start feeding on the insides of the watermelon. And all you have to do is pick it up and say, oh, this is it. <laughs> and knock it out with, with a stick into some soapy water or wash it out with a hose into some soapy water. But that way you can find them and trap them and uh, control them without having to do any poisons. Now, slugs do a lot of damage to um, hostile leaves, you know, I can think. But what else? Are, sure where do. else are we going to find them? Most of hostile. I see to Lots of other broadleaf plants. It's almost always going to be hostile. You see it first. Little trails, and then you see a little iridescent trail that for the sunshine behind it. And the leaves will be eaten up completely sometimes. Or three quarters of the leaf will eat up and one quarter left to start being the sunshine. They really eat a lot. Huh. And, and just like with roly polies and those things, they tend to like kind of those dark areas, maybe under a container, yeah. under rocks or bricks yeah, or yeah. something like that. So let's just be tidy and clean all those things out, right? Yeah, you mentioned rocks and things like that. There's another way to control or travel, I guess. Besides using melon, if you don't have a watermelon or a cantaloupe, is to just use a piece of plank or wood, something like that. It's broad, about eight inches by eight inches uh, big. And stick it on the ground and lift it up off the ground with a rock or two just to hold up a couple of inches off the ground. They'll seek that shade underneath you, just like you said. They'll seek a shady, moist place. And you can find the slugs and snails and wipe it off from there. Interesting. Okay. And snails, um, are they, you know, as damaging or as hungry as slugs are? Probably so. Both of them are. I remember this either they mean something like somewhat cut feet. Mm-hmm. Gastro, yeah, gastropod. They are a gastropod. And gastropod in Latin, stomach foot. So people used to leave as they ate through their feet or their, to their stomach. And that was on the bottom of their body, a gastropod. Yeah. Interesting. All right. And uh, people have asked you in years past, I remember, something having to do with copper. Does that attract them? Does yeah. that deter them? Does that even work? Not a bit. Ah, <laughs> it doesn't ah. have it all. And I've also heard things like uh, eggshells and lime, lime and um, ground glass put around your hostel to keep them off of there. They don't care about that a, a bit. I used to have a, a 4-H club project where we took snails. It was. We had snails that the kids would do various experiments to see what would hurt a snail. I remember one of the experiments was a razor blade with a blade up, with a sharp blade up, 
they could climb right over with never a bit of harm to them. Oh, but the chipmunks, that would hurt the chipmunks. Well, it doesn't hurt the snails, that's for sure. Oh, okay, yeah, then let's not do that. (laughs) Let's not use that. (laughs) There are some uh, products, though, actual snails that are not particularly toxic to people or to animals. And that's one of the things I worry about. A couple of the products we used, used to have on the market were very attractive to dogs, and they were poisonous. And that was a, a bad thing. But you had to really hide them up in places where a dog couldn't find it. But there are products now that have iron or ferrous sulfate in them. Uh, Sluggo is one. Uh, Slug be gone. There's a couple of others that it says control, controls slugs naturally with iron. They can't digest iron, so they like the little carrier that, they, that the iron is carried by. And so if you put a bit of this logo or other parts on the ground near where your hostas are growing, the slugs and snails are going to eat that, and you don't have to worry about hurting the dog or cat. Good. Okay. Yeah, natural remedies. I mean, I like your idea of the, the saucer of beer and the melons and using things like that. The board on rocks, I did recommend that uh, last weekend yeah. in my to-do list. I'm curious to see if anyone has any feedback, how quickly that has worked for yeah. them, propping up a board on rocks. Um, still talking kind of in the same vein, but caterpillars. I know you had one you wanted to talk about, and I had one I yeah. wanted to ask you about. I'm still looking after my okra plants, and I'm just now getting baby okra. I mean baby, baby. So I hope they're going to oh. last. I'm still going to you know, watch after them, but um, small little caterpillars. I forget if they were yellow or green, but I was out there a week ago picking those guys off the leaves. Uh, We're still needing to really watch out for those things and getting into cool season like cabbage loopers and things, right? Even though it's cool season, the butterfly population, of course, is evident during the summertime. Those butterflies still want to reproduce themselves, and so they lay eggs on your okra or your corn or your pumpkins or whatever, and those eggs hatch in small caterpillars. And I don't know what you had on your okra, but there's something that or caterpillars are certainly out right now. They're pretty easy to control if you have a place to spray with the BT, the bacillus thuringiensis, mm-hmm. that you spray onto plants. It's organic. It doesn't hurt anybody that hurt birds or bees or, or dogs and cats or anything. The only thing that hurts is caterpillars. BT, caterpillar attacking one brand name, but several others, all of which contain Okay. And you had a really cool caterpillar that I think we talked about last fall, oh, but uh, for folks to look out for. Orange striped. It has stripes down the back. Oak worm. Because you only see them on oak trees, and they can decimate the tree. Oh. They'll take every leaf off that tree, usually small trees, or usually one main limb of a bigger oak tree. But it's amazing to see how much they can eat. And sometimes the only way you'll first notice it is not by looking at the tree, but looking at the ground. You see all those little black balls, which is their, their poop, and they drop out the poop drops out of the tree onto the ground underneath. And you have them in a big oak tree over your patio. Ooh, and they come over your patio, stain that, stain sidewalks and driveways and things of that nature. So orange striped oak worms very common in the fall. And I don't have a good way to control it. They're higher than you can spray. Right, yeah. I mean, how would we even... That's tough. Yeah. Just tolerate them, and they'll be gone after the first frost. They'll be gone in a couple weeks is all it takes for them to mature and go through the whole cycle of caterpillar growth and turn into a Christmas and become what they become. And something else to be on the lookout for, too, and now is the time to really start getting ahead of them building their uh, webs is that fall webworm, kind of like the furry little black yeah, and yellow guy. But, I mean, that's, that's obvious. You yeah. look up and you see those webs and think, ooh, gross. Mostly in pecan trees. I've seen other trees too. Ananthus uh, is a big source of food for the uh, for the woodworm. And really, the best thing you can do there is simply take a hook on a piece of wood 
and tear the nest apart. And the young ladies, the hornets, and the wasps will come up there and say, "Oh, thank you, Ashley. We have suffered for all our babies that are growing back oh. at home in our nest." And we'll feed them to caterpillars that you have nicely taken their webbing and the protection off of so they can have some way to get into and get their food. So the webworms like being contained in their web and they'll defoliate a tree because yeah. they're going to eat the leaves within that. But then once you break that web apart, someone yeah. else can eat them. The cycle of life. That's exactly right. <laughs> You're helping the wasps and the hornets and the, and the uh, yellow jackets to have a oh. meal. And they are right now looking for all the food they have. Yeah. With all their nests have grown so big over the summertime. Yeah. If they've seen insects, are really, really looking for caterpillars to eat. Yeah, I've got a hornet nest bigger than a football at this point in my magnolia tree, and I'm really? leaving it alone. They're not bothering me. I'm not bothering yeah. them, but I just want to keep them happy, so I will let them have the fall webworms. <laughs> like, as long as they don't attack us or attack Shadow, I'm good. So insects, the, the many insects of fall, Walter, I think we could have a conversation on a few others. Do you mind if we do that next Saturday? Sure, that'd be great. I'd love oh, I'm thinking ahead to ants and crickets and spiders and all the creepy crawly yeah. things. So stand by for that next Saturday. I appreciate you as always, friend. Good time to you as you see you soon. All right. It's 95.5 WSB, and we'll be back with the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. It's Scott Slate. Did you know you can listen to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on Saturday mornings on your smart speaker? And me too, weekday mornings. Just tell your smart speaker, play 95.5 WSB, and we're on. 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's news and talk. Here's Ashley. I loved that conversation we had with Walter. I can't wait until next week when we talk about insects, all the fall insects, all the things to be on the lookout for. By the way, the weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. And I want to share with you this. Green and Growing. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. You heard Walter and I talk about it last Saturday. Pre-emergent timing, guys. Cool season annual weeds. They germinate with the first cold front and rain maybe in September. Annual grasses include annual bluegrass, poa annua, rescue grass, rye grass, and a fall application prevents winter weeds such as those in henbit and chickweed. Once they germinate and they start growing, you can't eliminate them, so you've blown it for another year Pre-emergent granules kill the germinating seeds before they can establish. So this is really your only option to get to it. Do it now before they start to germinate. Some common products, and you heard Walter mention them by name last Saturday. Dimension and halts are just two of the ones you could find. Number two, plant peonies now and make sure the crowns are buried only an inch and a half to two inches below ground level the deeper planting keeps the plants from blooming. And remember, they like the full sun, hopefully morning sun. That's an ideal place to put them. Loose, well-drained soils. And number three, cleaning up around fruit trees. That's crucial now because weeds and debris, they act as hosts to overwintering insects. So you want to rake up the debris, mulch really well, keep mulch just below the tree's root flare. That applies to any tree. Check around the base of the fruit trees and look for gummy or jelly-like sap mixed with the grass at the base of the trunk. That's going to be an uh-oh. All right, coming up in the next hour, I have a special guest. How many of you, raise your hand, know what Encore azaleas are? Yeah, the re-blooming azalea that really hit the market a couple of decades ago. So popular in southern landscapes. Buddy Lee the inventor, for lack of a better word, the father of the Encore Azalea, joins me in the next hour. I can't wait to pick his brain, and he's definitely got some tips for our success in establishing these in a southern landscape. No matter how much space you have, you can certainly 
find room for an encore azalea and now may be a great time to pick one or many of those up at pike nursery they've got them because fall installation for shrubs and trees is going to be ideal so my timing talking to buddy lee that coming up in the next hour and your calls as well 404-872-0750 ashley frasca right here with you on labor day saturday it's green and growing on wsb when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.